Go ahead and turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to be looking at verses 8 through the end of the chapter today. 1 Corinthians 13, starting with verse 8, going through verse 13. Last week we looked at verses 4 through 7 where Paul defines love. The week before we, we began in, in chapter 13 looking at verses uh, 1 through 3 where Paul says, uh, whatever gift you may have, whatever gift you may be using in the body, if you're not loving, if you don't have Love, then you're either um, a, a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal or you're nothing or, he says, you've received your reward. And his point being is we need to focus in on this love thing. If we are not loving, if you're not loving, if I'm not loving, then, then we're really nothing. And then last week we looked at his um, definition of love. This is what love is in verses 4 through 7. And so today we come to verses 8 through 13 where Paul um, sets love, which is eternal, against gifts, which are temporary. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. So let's stand together. We'll read through the verses. 1 Corinthians 13, starting with verse 8. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the gift of your word that you have given to us. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your spirit that helps us and reminds us of the things that you have spoken, Jesus, the things you have said to us. We need your help this morning. We pray that you would guide us, that you would open our hearts, make us receptive to your word. Help us to be people who embrace your word, Lord, who desire to live it out, who don't just affirm that you have spoken, but embrace you and embrace what you have said in a way that lives in light of the gospel, Lord. Pray that you open our ears and give us ears to hear Teach us, I pray this morning. Guide us for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. Love never ends, Paul says. Love never ends. Just as we finished off in verses 4 through 7, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love endures all things or always perseveres. Uh, Paul goes on and says it never ends. It doesn't quit. It doesn't give up. And not just that, that's what uh, enduring all things means. It doesn't quit or it doesn't give up, but it continues. It's not going to ever end. It's going to continue, not just on this earth, but forever. There's no point where love is going to cease. That's what Paul's saying there. Love never ends. It's permanent. The gifts, he says here, are temporary. They end love never ceases, it never ends. Again, demonstrating, showing us the superiority of love over gifts. 
If you don't have love, Paul says, even if you prophesy, if you don't have love, you're nothing. And so often this passage is used to debate when the sign gifts, specifically tongues and and prophecy, will cease or when did they cease. But we don't want to lose the main thing here. We don't want to lose the main meaning of what Paul is saying through this passage. The main thing is love. Do we love? Are we loving people? Love is superior to the gifts, Paul says. And if we have gifts, but we don't have love, then we're nothing. So let's, let's focus in on that. Let's think through that. Let's pray through that as God's people. Are we a loving people? Is there an evidence that God's word and the gospel has transformed our hearts to the end that we see love evidenced in our life? As for prophecies, Paul says they will pass away. Love never ends. Prophecies do end. As for prophecies, they will pass away. Again, we're going to unpack in the next couple of weeks and two weeks. Next week, we get to chapter 14. We'll talk about the gift of tongues next week. The following week, we'll talk about the gift of prophecy. So we'll unpack that more in the next couple of weeks. But just to give us a working definition here, the gift of prophecy is a gift meant for the edification of the body where the Lord impresses upon another person or persons persons something it's telling something that the lord has spontaneously brought to mind it does not necessarily mean a message of future events most often it's it's simply a message of encouragement or exhortation to someone or someones paul says that gift that gift of prophecy will pass away it would pass away there in this text means that something's going to be put away or it's going to become ineffective. What Paul is saying there is there's going to be a time when prophecy will be put away. It's going to be deemed ineffective. It won't be needed anymore. And so when is that time? As for tongues, they will cease. We'll talk about tongues next week, but just to give us an understanding or a definition as we're looking at this verse. Tongues is spirit-empowered ability to speak another language or languages that the speaker does not know. Paul says that will cease. Now there's a lot made sometimes of the fact that Paul uses a different word here that we have translated cease than he does with prophecies and knowledge, we have prophecies will pass away, tongues will cease, knowledge will pass away. There's a, there's a lot made of that some, sometimes. Whereas uh, with tongues, it's used in the middle voice. With prophecy and knowledge, it's used in the passive voice. And some will look at that and say, well, there must be a completely different meaning then. And so tongues, what Paul is saying is, are going to cease on their own. So at some time, they will just end on their own, whereas prophecy and knowledge will be put to an end. And and I don't think that it's necessary that we read that into, in fact, if I can quote D.A. Carson on that. He said, I don't think that very much can be made of the use of the verb in verse 8, any more than one can make much of other stylistic features that regularly escape detailed comment. Now, what does D.A. Carson mean there? What he's saying is the same voice is used throughout the New Testament, meaning both things. 
So it's used in the same way that pass away is used both times throughout the New Testament. So to imply that it means something that we don't know for sure that it means would be uh, purposeless. And, and, and we need to be careful with that is all he's saying there. The prophecies, they will pass away. Tongues, they will cease. And knowledge, it will pass away. Knowledge is referring to a spirit-empowered understanding or discernment of the things of the Lord. The scriptures, we're reminded in, in, in uh, the book of John when, when, when uh, Jesus is saying the spirit's going to come. He's going to remind you of the things that I've spoken to you. My word. He's going to remind you of my word. That's what the spirit That's one of the things that the Spirit does in us. He reminds us, he points us, he gives us understanding. And we talked about in chapter 12, some are given a gift of of knowledge that is uh, much greater to a greater uh, proportion than is given to some other people. Paul says at some point, that's going to pass away. That gift of knowledge is going to pass away. It's going to be set aside. It's going to be deemed unnecessary. These gifts will come to an end, Paul says. They'll be put aside, but love will remain. Love, he says, never ends. It goes on in verse 9. He says, we know in part and we prophesy in part. Our knowledge, this is what he means here, our knowledge of things now is partial. Our prophecies now produce partial information. That's what Paul's saying. Now we have partial understanding. We ought to be careful with this. With the truth of of what Paul's saying here, we should be careful. I mentioned a a few weeks ago that that there are different camps. And as we approach chapter 14, uh, all of us know there's different camps. There's different understanding as we get to uh, the gift of prophecy and the gift of tongues. There's diff- there's debates over this. There's there's books that will uh, give you the, the the different views of of um, uh, miraculous gifts and and specifically prophecy and and tongues. Those are the kind of the two that the conversation mostly centers around. There's different camps. You have uh, what's referred to as the cessationist camp. You can kind of hear in the beginning of that where that lands, that the gifts have ceased. Okay, So you have the cessationist camp, and then you have uh, uh, the next camp over would be uh, what's referred to as open but cautious. So there's people who are part of that that, that would say, no, we don't, we don't believe that the scriptures teach that the gifts have ceased, but we're cautious. And, and we want to we walk very carefully, and we want to uh, we want to we take very seriously in First Thessalonians, where Paul says, "Test everything." We take that very seriously, and then you have the next camp over that's referred to as third wave, and that's um, more of a, a newer camp that has uh, is it, it would be considered by cessationists a charismatic camp, but it's um, uh, denied some of the things that has seen unbiblical in charismatic or or Pentecostal groups where. Um, they've looked at the scriptures and maybe uh, these other groups have said, well, if you don't speak in tongues, then you're not truly saved or you don't have the Holy Spirit. You haven't been, you haven't. So the, the third wave group has said, no, we, we don't see that in the scriptures. We, we deny that. And so we believe the gifts continue and we practice the gifts, but we don't think that's true. And then you have the charismatics and then uh, the, the Pentecostals 
um, would be the, the, the most, what many would refer to as extreme or embracing of, of, uh, of all of these things. And so we have these different camps um, and, and, and different understanding of what the scriptures say concerning tongues and prophecy. But we have to confess, okay, as we approach this, we, we must confess that what Paul is saying here is true. And we ought to humbly confess that we know in part and the more we know, if we're truthful, the more I know, I mean, the more I read the Bible, you know, I, you would hope that maybe you read it through this many times and you're like, got it, right? But it's like, the more I read through the scriptures and the spirit reveals more of the Lord to me. And I realize the more I know, the more I don't know. And the more we, the more knowledge we gain, it really humbles us and helps us to see, man, I really don't know a lot yet. And, and, and that's a good thing. And so as we approach this, we, we ought to humbly confess that. And, and I say that for this. We cannot forsake love at the altar of being puffed up concerning our camp. We can't do that. The main thing is love. Clearly, that's what Paul's saying. If you don't have love, you're nothing. And so whatever camp I fall in, if there's no love in that to where I can step into a conversation with the other camps and embrace them with what Paul refers to in Romans 12, genuine love. Let love be genuine, not this facade saying, well, brother, sister, how are you? I wish you knew the Bible and all of this stuff. But embracing and loving and saying, look. We're brothers in Christ, we're sisters in Christ, and my love for you is deep and rich, not because of anything in me, but because of Jesus who gave his love to me. If we can't do that, then we need to humbly confess that. Paul says in verse 10, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Now here's where debate heats up a little bit. What does Paul mean by the perfect? What's the perfect? We want to know what's the perfect because when the perfect comes, then the partial will pass away. And if I just know what the perfect is, ah, then my camp can get some solid ground here. And, and so what does he mean when he says when the perfect comes? Some will, will say that the perfect is the canonization of the scriptures. When we have the full scriptures, all of the books, when that happened and, and when we had the full canon written and put together and we have that in our hands, well, that's the perfect and then some would say, though, what he's talking about is when we are seeing Jesus face to face. And I think as we look through the text, as we look at verse 12, which, which he uses to explain verse 9, or verse 10, excuse me. When the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. And the partial being then, in verse 12, face to face, when we see him face to face, now I know in part, then I shall know fully. I think what we would have to come away with this text saying is, Paul's saying that these gifts will cease when the perfect comes, and the perfect is Jesus when we see him face to face. When the perfect comes, when we see face to face, the partial prophecy, knowledge, those things are going to pass away. There'll be no need for them when we see Jesus face to face. There'll be no need for the gift of prophecy when we see Jesus face to face. 
Now let me be very clear here and very careful here, okay? There is no lack in God's word. I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. I don't want you to misread what Paul is saying. The scriptures are clear. We've been given all that we need for life and godliness, Peter says. All that we need. They're clear. We don't want to misread that. God's word will never fail. The flowers will fade. God's word will remain forever. But at times our understanding is hindered with certain things. We don't see clearly. And so Paul gives us these two pictures in verse 11 and then in verse 12. When I was a child, verse 11, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. He's relating to humans and how we act and respond. As children, we acted like children. That was normal to act like a child. But when we became adults, we put aside or we put away things that were childish, things from our childhood. And likewise, the point being, when we see Jesus, the partial will be put aside. There'll be some things that were a part of our childhood here. You think of Ephesians 4, where we're growing up into him and the knowledge of him and the understanding of him and unity in him. We're growing up into Christ. And when we see Jesus, then those things will be put aside that aren't necessary. Makes another comparison in in verse 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Right now, Paul's saying, it's like looking in a mirror. And then it will be looking face to face. And we have to understand, if we want to get this, to to, to know that a mirror in Corinth was not what we have hanging on our wall in the bathroom. It was a lot less clear. You had polished metal that you would look into to get a reflection, and that reflection was a little bit distorted. It wasn't as clear. It might be good for some of us who like to spend way too much time in front of a mirror if we had mirrors like in Corinth. It was it was a little distorted. It was indistinct. And so they would look into a mirror and they would get an, a, enough reflection. But it wasn't like looking face to face. That's what Paul's saying there. One day we're going to see Jesus face to face. And it will all be clear. And I will know then fully, listen to this, even as I have been fully known. That is a wonderful truth. You may not understand fully everything right now, but you are known fully. There is no vagueness. There's no dimness. There's no distortion in God's seeing of you. He knows your heart intimately. He knows your life intimately, and he loves you intimately, even knowing those things. When we see him face to face, we're going to understand fully, even as we are fully known right now. Wonderful news, wonderful truth. So, Paul says, now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Faith, hope, and love abide. What's he saying there? We better be sure of these three things. And the test is love. 
We better be certain of these three things. It's amazing. It's amazing. I mentioned this already. Um, We will debate tongues and prophecy and signs and things like that. We will debate that. We will will wrestle. I hope, I hope, I encourage you to. We will wrestle over those things. What is it? What's true? What's not true? What's, what's the Bible teach? What doesn't it teach? We'll wrestle, we'll wrestle with that. But do we wrestle with these three things as much? Do I wrestle with whether or not I love the brothers and sisters in Christ as evidence that the gospel has transformed my heart? Do I debate with myself even over whether or not the fruit of the gospel is made evident in my life by how I love the brothers and sisters in Christ? We talked about that last week in 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. This is how you know. This is how you know that you've gone from death to life, that you love the brothers. Here's your evidence, John says. Here's the proof. Here's the joy that you can have. If you love the brothers and sisters in Christ, rejoice. Because there's fruit. There's evidence that you are in Christ. You're saved. Are you wrestling through that? What Paul's saying is you better be sure of these three. And the fruit, the evidence of the three is love. The greatest of these is love, Paul says. Are we loving As we move into chapter 14 next week, do we love? We have a wide spectrum of backgrounds in this body. And I know who you are. It's wide. I mean, we have, you may not know this, I mean, we have the pendulum here. As I talked about the five camps, it's all here. Isn't that nerve-wracking for you guys? (laughs) beautiful as we move forward into chapter 14 do we love do we love God do we love each other I'm I'll tell you this is um, as we get into this my prayer is that we move forward in unity and love I'm going to preach through chapter 14, as faithfully as the Lord will allow me to. And I have dear friends who are pastors and disagree with my understanding of chapter 14. I love them dearly. There are some of you who, who, who will probably disagree with my understanding of chapter 14. I love you. I'm praying that we can move forward in love and unity. I want for us to major on what is the major here, and that's love. I've mentioned this before. I have baggage that I bring to the table around this discussion. We all have baggage that we bring to the table when it pertains to tongues and prophecy and those things there's there's several of you that since we turn to chapter 2 of first corinthians have been like when are we gonna be at chapter 14 of first corinthians i can't wait to get to chapter 14 i think a lot of that is because we do have baggage around that and i've said that before but what do i mean when i say that we have baggage that we bring to the table i'll just be honest with you i want to share with you what i mean by that in my own life 
Uh, I grew up in, in a, a Southern Baptist church. I'll let that sink in a little bit. <laughs> Cessationist church. Cessationist family. Small church. Didn't have a youth group. So when I got to high school, started going to another church midweek to, to youth group with some friends. That was a charismatic church. Hmm, I love all the hmms. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and, you know, love the people there. But while I was there, hear me out on this, okay? Shamefully, I started speaking in tongues. That word is purposeful, shamefully. Because the reason I say it shamefully is it wasn't by the power of the Spirit, but by a deep desire to be accepted by those friends. Now, why do I tell you that? I tell you that because, you know, I, I want to use this as some aha moment. I made a conscious, conscious decision to repeat the sounds that they were making, and they accepted me. I didn't have to do that. I was just immature. I faked it, and so I want to use this as some aha move, moment to, to prove that, that it's fake. Not at all. I was fake. I was the fake. I'm the one that was motivated not by love, but by attention, with wrong motives. I didn't desire to please God. I desired to please man. And the reason I share it with you is that's, that's my baggage. That's part of my baggage. And so I have carried that in the thoughts of, you faked it, Tony. You faked it, Tony. You faked it, Tony. But the truth is, none of my experience is authoritative proof for gifts ceasing or continuing. And I would say that your experience is not authoritative proof as to whether the gifts have continued or ceased. The scriptures are the authority. In fact, I think of 2 Peter chapter 1, which is such a beautiful example for us, where Peter, in verses 16 through 21, is, is, is relaying his experience on the mountain. When he goes up the mountain with Jesus and James and John, and, and he, it's from Luke 9, he's referring back to Luke 9, the Mount of Transfiguration, and he's standing there, and, and, and Jesus, before their eyes, is transfigured, transformed glorified before them. So they're seeing Jesus in his glorified state. Not just that, but while they're looking at Jesus transformed that way, uh, Elijah and Moses appear next to Jesus and are talking with Jesus. Peter, James, John hear them talking about Jesus' departure. So they hear this conversation going on with glorified Jesus, Elijah, and Moses. Then the glory cloud comes down and surrounds them. The same cloud that the Israelites looked up at trembling with fear. They didn't want to touch the mountain because if they touch the mountain, they die. That cloud comes down and surrounds Jesus, Peter, James, and John. And then out of the cloud, an audible voice comes and says, This is my son, whom I love 
listen to him. Now that is the greatest experience you will ever possibly have. And, 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 and Peter doesn't discount it, right? At the beginning of verse 16, he says, listen, you can trust what we're saying. We're not telling you cleverly devised myths. We, we're telling you what we've seen and what we have heard, what we've experienced. So he doesn't discount it totally. But what he says in the next verse, after recounting that experience, is this. And we have something more sure The prophetic word, more sure than standing and gazing at Jesus glorified, more sure than hearing the audible voice of God come from heaven and say, this is my son, you better listen to him. More sure than that, Peter says, we have the scriptures. And so as we move forward in this, my experience, your experience are secondary to the scriptures. God's word is the authority and must guide our understanding on all things. Scripture, scripture must determine how we confront our baggage, not the other way around. So often I have let my baggage determine how I confront the scriptures. And we can't do that. We can't do that. We have to let the scriptures confront our baggage. And so for years, I let my experience and my upbringing, not the scriptures, determine what I believe about these things. And now I can tell you from my heart, I'm searching before the Lord, I want to know. I want to know the truth. This is, this is something that, that every year of my ministry, I reevaluate. Every year before the Lord. Lord, I want to know the truth. I want to know the truth. I want to know the truth. Whatever it means. If it means I lose my job, Lord, I don't care. I want to know what is the truth. What have you said and what do you mean and what do you purpose? That's the way we ought to approach the scriptures. And my prayer is, as we move forward into chapter 14 this next week, that God would be glorified and displayed ultimately in our love and our unity. I'll tell you honestly, I mean, someone mentioned this morning, I'm a people pleaser. I won't call them out. They're dead right. Um, I mean, and, uh, and so, I, you know, it's amazing as I preach through this. I, some of you may be just totally uncomfortable. Every time I say the word tongues or prophecy, you just may be like, okay, um, where are we going? And, and it's amazing as we've gone through this series, I can tell you honestly, um, you know, whatever uncomfortableness you have maybe may sitting there, you should come up here and preach it, Okay. <laughs> Because uh, I know we have all these different camps, and I know which ones most of you are in, okay? Uh, And so I see your face expressions. Everyone's trying to hide now, but um, that's okay. Like, I see your face expressions, and literally there's certain things that I have said as we've gone through this. And, and uh, some of, of, of that are in the cessationist camp, I'll say something, and, and the face is like, oh, great. He's Pentecostal now. <laughs> and then at the same statement, 
the people who are closer to the Pentecostal side will look and their face expressions, it's just priceless. Great. He's a cessationist. And it's like, okay, let's, let's breathe and move forward. Listen, we all have tensions and baggage and all of that. I don't want, I don't want to sacrifice at the altar of my ego and, 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 and what, what I haven't studied, to be honest, and throw love out the window. I, I just want us to move ahead loving. And for so long, and, and, I, and I don't, gosh, I don't mean to be deceptive or anything and, and, and not tell you this is my camp. We'll get there, okay? Um, you've been a patient people, and that's wonderful. I haven't told you whatever camp it is and, and, and all that. We'll get there. You've been patient and all that. But part of the reason of that is, 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 is two things. One of the things I struggle through with this, as it pertains to Cornerstone in particular, and my call to shepherd these people and, and to preach to these people week in and week out, one thing is crystal clear through, verse, through chapter 12 through 14. The, the purpose of all of this is love and unity. And so one of the things I have struggled through as we go through this is we have all of these camps represented. And so when you say one thing, there's disunity over here. I'm not comfortable with that. I'm not, I don't want to go there. I don't want to say these things. And if you say the other thing, then there's disunity over here. And so how, how can we come to this confessing our baggage, the sinful baggage, some of you, you know, I can read your faces and, and there's a little bit of cringing or whatever as we start to go down a certain way. That's okay. Some of, I mean, uh, some of you, it's just because you just love God's word and, and that's great. You should and you need to keep doing that. But I want to I encourage you, if you have studied, if you've studied and, and to see what does the scripture say, not just what did this guy tell me, 13 years ago, and I'm sticking with that because I'm most comfortable with that. But if you've studied the scriptures to see what have you said, God, then let's go forward trusting. Because if the Lord leads me to teach what the scriptures say and he's led you to teach or to know what the scriptures say, then don't be nervous because he's good. All right. Let's move on. Don't want to finish with that because there's, that's not the main thing. The main thing is crystal clear through here, and I want us to keep it crystal clear. I don't want to, I don't want to turn the page next week from chapter 13 and forget chapter 13. Love, 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 love is the main thing. And the beauty, beauty in these verses as we go through it is there is a day that is coming, Paul says, when we will see Jesus. He's coming back. And we will see him and we will be with him and it will be wonderful and all of these things that we don't fully understand will pass away. But love will remain. Love never ends, Paul says. And love will be fuller than ever before. There'll be eternal patience and kindness. We won't envy. We won't be envied. 
We won't boast in ourself. We won't be arrogant. We won't be rude. We won't insist on our own way. We won't be irritable. We won't be resentful. We won't rejoice in wrong. We will rejoice with the truth moment by moment forever. When we see Jesus face to face, that is a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful thing. Wonderful hope. The greatest evidence that heaven has invaded our hearts is that we love each other. The greatest evidence that we're now citizens of a kingdom that is not yet consummated is our love for each other. Let love be genuine, Paul says in Romans 12. First John chapter 2, verse 28, And now, little children, abide in Him, abide in Jesus, so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. Don't you want that? You just want to live and embrace the gospel and live in light of the gospel in a way that when Jesus comes and when this happens and we see him face to face, we're not shrinking back and we're not ashamed because we have embraced the gospel. We've believed the gospel. We've lived in light of the truth of the gospel. We've loved our brothers and sisters. We've abided in Christ. So Jesus, when you come, we're not ashamed. We're not fearful. We stand before you, converted and changed by you, and we want to be with you forever and ever and ever and ever. I want that. I want that for us. I want to live in a way that glorifies God, abiding in Christ, so that when he comes, I'm not ashamed. You think of some of the things that Jesus says in John 15. Abide in me, remain in me, Jesus says. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Abide in my love. This is my commandment that you love one another. Are we majoring on that? Are we wrestling with that? Are we confessing that we don't love and seeking to abide in Christ that we might love? Love never ends, Paul says. We don't even understand now how full love will be in heaven. How weighty and glorious, how happy and perfect it will be. There's only one way into that happy forever. Only one way that we can see him face to face with joy, not shrinking back. And that's through Jesus. If you know him, you love him. If you love him, you love his sons and daughters. And so let's be people who wrestle. Are we loving Are we loving people? Is there evidence of the gospel transforming us? Let's labor for his glory. Love our brothers and sisters in Christ and let's look for his return, abiding in him so that we're not ashamed, we don't shrink back, but in joy we live and in joy we see him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. God, I thank you for these people, Lord. I thank you for their hearts. I thank you that you know them intimately, even as this passage has has said to us, you know us intimately. We are fully known.
to think that we are known and loved by God. And we are accepted because of Jesus, Lord. Would you just pour the truth of that into our hearts and our minds? Lord, there are ways that every single one of us need to change. But if we have not love, we are nothing. So God, would you search our hearts and make known to us the truth as it relates to love? Do we love you, God? Jesus, do we love you? Because of the great love with which you have loved us, do we love your sons and daughters, our brothers and sisters in Christ? Would you lavish us with your grace this morning and with your spirit in a way that causes us to wrestle with this? Because we believe your word, Lord. We acknowledge that your word is truth and you have told us if we have not love, we are nothing. That our discussions week to week, these sermons week to week, nothing compared to or without love, Lord. God, we want you to be glorified through us and we want to look for Jesus. We want to look to Jesus and we want to look for Jesus. We want to wait anxiously, eagerly for your coming. And we want to abide in you, Jesus, moment by moment, day by day. We want to abide in you, Jesus. We want to remain in you. We want to walk in your love and in your grace so that when you appear, we are not ashamed. We don't shrink back but we believe the gospel that we have embraced and we've lived in light of. Help us, I pray, Lord. I pray that you bring conviction and bring confession during the time that we sing, that we would confess where we have been unloving. We we would confess uh, what we have put before love and before you, Lord. What are those idols in our life, Lord? Search us and know us and, and convict us in those areas and help us to repent for your glory. Amen.